This is the Learning Capacity Podcast. You're with Colin Klupik. A warm welcome to you wherever you happen to be listening in. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast Australia, improving student learning outcomes with neuroscience programs since 1999. In this episode, we talk with Damon Gamo, maker of That Sugar Film. Are we all eating too much sugar? How do we not notice the amount of sugar in our food system? And why haven't we caught on to this before now? In this light-hearted conversation about a very serious issue, we consider the general health effects of sugar and what it could possibly be doing to young people in terms of their mood and their ability to learn. It's controversial, but you never know. You may also feel quite liberated by the message. Damon Gamo, welcome to The Conversation. Hello, Colin. Thanks for having me. First of all, that sugar film uh, released earlier this year, uh, early 2015 in Australia. Uh, I just have to say, very entertaining. Really, really enjoyed it. But I also have to say that I'm biased. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you why I'm biased? Please do. Yeah. I, re- I really want to tell you why I'm biased. I came across your film because it was a recommendation from my sister, uh, who incidentally is a parent and also a scientist. And this coincided with having just read David Gillespie's book, Sweet Poison. And, wow. and I thought, right, I've got to see this film. And after reading Gillespie's book and watching your film, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to cut refined sugar from my diet. And I was, I was into jams, honeys, cereals, all that sort of stuff. But I never really thought of myself as being overweight. And guess what? I'm in week seven and I've lost four kilos. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, that is a, a very common story. I think we're starting to kind of completely reassess the way that we uh, look at food and how it affects our body. And it's amazing how I'm sure you probably did that with minimal exercise too because most people report that, that as soon as they cut it out, they, they find within the first few weeks they notice some changes even if they're quite sedentary. So, look, it's exciting. I think so many people are starting to get this message. They're sharing it with each other and, you know, we've been told these guidelines for so long and sugar's kind of snuck through the back door, but I think now people are starting to take control and power themselves with information and knowledge. And look, it's just a great time. We're, we're at the beginning of a very big food revolution at the moment. So it's, it's very exciting for us to be a part of that. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing I noticed as well, you made the comment about exercise was I, I'm a cyclist and I enjoy getting out about three times a week. So not too dissimilar to the exercise regime that you show in your film. Uh, by the way, love mm. your homemade gym. Um, <laughs> And and I thought, well, look, so that I don't skew the results here, I'm trying. Look, I'm trying to be as scientific as the ordinary person can be in their home. And I thought, I won't do too much more or less cycling than I already have been doing. And yeah. the weight loss, or the well, I guess technically it's fat loss in this in this situation because mm. I was losing wobbly stuff. Um, That's right. It, it just started to happen. Well, you want to you want to use the word instantly, but that's not quite right. But certainly, mm. after, certainly after a week, there was five hundred grams that had disappeared. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think people need to understand that when, once you start lowering the sugar, when you're putting that much sugar in your body, you're just. This is what the new science is telling us that there is so much glucose in your bloodstream and that this hormone insulin is released to deal with all that glucose. And when it's dealing with that glucose, you actually can't burn off fat for energy. The insulin's too busy dealing with that glucose that you actually just hold on to your fat stores. So people often find that once they kind of 
remove that glucose and it happens when people do fasting and whatnot as well but if you cut out your sugar you actually let your body burn fat for energy instead of mm. just using the sugar all the time so it's quite simple when we understand it but i think we've just spent the last 35 years saying look oh it's all about calories and it's eat whatever you like and then just do exercise and burn it off but we're really starting to change our thinking around that and it's very exciting and you know even for us we've um i've you know since this film's come out i've gone and spent time with the la lakers we had the all blacks world cup winning rugby team kind of come out the day after and say they'd watch the film and they change all their diets i met with tottenham hotspur in the uk all these huge sporting organizations are even starting to take the message on board and understanding they don't have to be supplied by this excess sugar all the time mm. you don't need to be using sugar all the time to get your energy you can actually do it from eating healthy fats as well which is obviously going to kind of give you much more long-term benefits in terms of your own metabolic conditions down the track or as you see a lot of athletes that retire that can then immediately get very sick or overweight because they're just eating these wrong foods and it's fine when you're doing high levels of exercise but it's what happens at the end so it's a very exciting time we're in, we're in a shift some people are a bit resistant to it because it is a change but it's uh, it's very exciting the way it's headed yeah, look, I've got a couple of questions related to that, which I'll come to in a moment. But uh, something I did want to ask you, and you've, I think you've possibly almost answered my question anyway, is uh, is this becoming a much larger part of your life than you had originally anticipated? <laughs> Uh, of course, you know, I, I had no interest or understanding of nutrition at all three years ago, this time three years ago. And really the naivety uh, speaks to the fact that doing the, the experiment in the film, I, I asked to do it for 60 days. So I just didn't think we'd get any results. Um, I wasn't even sure that we'd get anything in 30 days. And because I wasn't eating these junk foods, all the sugar I was eating was found in these perceived healthy foods. I just didn't understand enough about how it all worked. So I feel like I've completely gone down a rabbit hole in terms of my learning and understanding and the people I've met around the world. And because the film's done so well now, I mean, we're the highest grossing doco of all time in Australia now. We've had great success. You know, we had UK parliamentary screenings and New Zealand parliamentary screenings. And I guess because of that, you now get, I get sent so much information from different people and scientists and whatnot that kind of see us as being able to amplify the message and convey it in a clear and understandable uh, way to the public that mm. I kind of feels like you take on a responsibility that I never thought or expected would happen. And um, I guess the tricky part is working out how you actually get off that bus because it's, yeah. it's got so much momentum now and I'm so excited by the things we're doing and the school kids and the Aboriginal Foundation and whatnot but by the same time I'm, I'm excited to make more things and uh, at the moment we're just trying to find ways of utilising and being smarter with the time and make it more sustainable and trying to bring on people, employ people to help us keep the momentum going that can just free me up a little bit to, to look at some other creative areas. Sure. Um, to get some of our listeners who perhaps haven't seen the film a little bit more interested, can I share another anecdote with you, uh, which has come directly from mm. your film? Because I, re I, really sure. I really want to share it with you. <laughs> the, the, one of the uh, tests that you can conduct on yourself, which, again, which is not particularly scientific, but one which I have now found myself doing increasingly, uh, is where you um, stand in front of the mirror with your shirt off and you do the uh, belly slap, make a fat wave wobble test. Yes. See, this should be in the annals of science. Hopefully it will be recorded one day. Perhaps I should even get a Nobel Prize for inventing that because I think it's very telling. I think we can all judge the wobble factor. We all know our own wobble factor, our wobble meter, and I think if people took more control of that, then it would spread. We need to get it out there. Well, it's it's amazing, you know, because you you try you think that you're playing tricks on yourself, but then you think, no, actually, when I do the wobble test, there's less to wobble. It's just... It's just well, that's right. I mean, you can stand on, on, on all the scales you want. You can get married, you know, measured in some chamber. But ultimately, the most accurate way is the wobble test, as we're finding out. 
Now, there was a review in The Guardian uh, earlier this year in March where uh, you said to the interviewer that you'd been seeking a lot of legal advice, which... Uh, where if you had where you decided sorry you decided on consensus presumably with your team that if you remained truthful and didn't stretch the truth that you think you'd be okay uh, how's that panned out have you had any uh, interesting uh, contacts from people who are not so keen on your message well look I guess the, the big shock has been how we've been approached by a lot of very large companies that use sugar as their sort of main source of revenue to do private screenings of the film do Q&A's with the staff um, go in for meetings to sort of look about how they can adapt and change moving forward I mean I guess all of them are, I mean it's not this isn't a fad anymore there's enough kind of science out there now there's enough you know uh, decisions being made at a government policy level around this particular substance that they know that there is a movement coming and that the public are starting to demand lower sugar products for themselves and their children. So, you know, these companies are smart. It's capitalism. They want to stay ahead of the curve and make money. And they know that if they sell lower sugar products, as we've seen now, so many products are coming out with lower sugar versions, they know they're trying to appeal to what the current zeitgeist is around this topic. So, um, they, I mean, I guess that was a bit of a shock to us in terms of that favourable reaction. And I think also because we're not really demonising it. I mean, we're not, I know out there is, a, I guess, a, um, a belief out there, you know, that sugar might be toxic and poisonous and we've seen the success of the I Quit Sugar program. So they're mm. all quite extreme measures, whereas we tried to really come in and, and I guess have a slightly different stance that says, look, the World Health Organization says we should aim for about six teaspoons of added sugar a day. And considering we're having about 30 to 40 a day, let's at least get to that six as a start and see where we go. And look, as you're probably experiencing, I'm the same. I'm extra sensitive to it. I'm actually better off to have none. But some people, it's like with alcohol. Some people can have a couple of glasses of wine and be completely fine. For other people, it's a slippery slope. And sugar's no different. It activates the same reward centers in our brain. These opioids get released that kind of make us feel good and whatnot. And everyone's opioid receptor is a different size. You can yeah. tolerate less or more sugar. So we just have to understand and see it that it's not one size fits all. But for the most part, I reckon a lot of us are, are very sensitive to sugar and we don't realize that. But, you know, like I said, the companies were okay. The sugar industry is probably a different matter. They had a conference um, about a month and a half, six weeks ago in Melbourne for 29,000 doctors and they actually set up a stall there, the Sugar Association, and handed out a, a, a flyer that sort of debunked our film and said that sugar film, the truth, and kind of went through a list of all the points in the film that we made and then tried to counter them. So uh, it kind of backfired on them because a lot of doctors sent it to us. We published it on our uh, social media channels, the media picked up uh, and made a bit of a story out of it. And I, I guess the, the anger that a lot of people had was why are the Sugar Association at a doctor's conference? Why do they need to be there? Yeah. And, of course, as we explore in the film, there are a lot of similarities in tactics that the Sugar Association are using that tobacco did. And a lot of these companies that own tobacco companies are now owning food companies. So there is a playbook. They know how to handle this kind of, um, I guess, counter-argument and they look to delay and create ambiguity in the public space so that they can actually... Um, I guess, keep selling their products as long as they can without any definitive answers being in the public space. Right. Well, it's incredible, isn't it, how, how active the industry can be and, and, and how the, the, the major players, as you describe, that I guess they weren't particularly concerned about how much sugar was in their product as long as they were making money. Now that they realize that they're not going to make so much money, they're going to adjust it. <laughs> so it really does question their, it questions their original motivations, though, don't you think? 
Oh, absolutely. That's probably one of the saddest points of me making the film was realizing the amount of money and science that goes into, you know, understanding why foods are addictive and how we crave them and what sugar does to the brain and how we've all got a different bliss point. Our tolerance for sugar is different. And, you know, Nestle have got 900 PhDs, you know, that they employ just alone to look at this stuff. So, Really, it's it's kind of unfair. People, you know, they'll often cry it's personal responsibility and if you get fat and sick, then it's your fault because you didn't count your calories. But it's kind of not an even playing field because they are putting so much science into, into getting these products to be hooked onto us so that we actually mm. enjoy eating them. So I guess, again, that's a symptom I think of capitalism is that, you know, these companies, all these people I met are good people that work in these companies, even things like Coca-Cola. But, you know, these guys just look at a board that has their sales numbers for the week and that's all they care about, hitting those targets. They, they're not aware of the consequences of it's what it's doing to the kid in Kentucky with his teeth or the Aboriginal communities in Australia. They're just delighted they're, you know, the, the Northern Territory is their highest sales region per capita in the world and they're probably getting bonuses for that. So I think it's just a, it's a, you know, it's an interesting discussion. Again, that's part of this whole food debate and revolution that we're having is that can it actually exist in a capitalist system? And that's an interesting um, point to discuss when these companies are solely out to make money. Uh, it's like we're seeing with the planet. There are implications on the planet with the environmental factors and in the same way with human beings. There are implications when our sole focus is on money. Yeah. Let's turn now to the, uh, the, the issue of kids or younger people and particularly kids in schools. Uh, look, again, another anecdote from your film. Love the little jig you did at the end of the film. Uh, it's, it's very entertaining. For, for our listeners who haven't seen the film, wait, don't, don't turn the film off too early. Watch it all the way to the end. You won't be disappointed. The, look, I can say the last few words of the film without actually giving it away, so I'm going to do that. But the last few words of your film are, I'm coming for your kids. Uh, sugar is personified, and very effectively, I might add. And... I guess the question that immediately sprang to mind when I when I watched that, particularly for the second time, was uh, w- were there any key turning points during the making of the film where you realised that this was really a major issue for children? Um, I think even before we started, I mean, you see the tone and the style of the film, that very sort of playful Willy Wonka colours that we've used. I, I always had kids in mind. I kind of thought that... You know, parents, yes, they need to understand that, but a lot of my generation and older have kind of already embedded a lot of eating habits. And, and we know that sugar can be very addictive and the kids, the, the companies know this. And so they do target children at a, at a very young age. And we know that it does affect the palate. So if you start off with these high sugary foods, you then develop a taste preference for those sweeter foods. And that's why we see kids really struggling with broccoli and plain vegetables, because quite often right from birth, they're bombarded with these sweet flavors, even in kind of packaged um, baby foods. And in America, some of the, the formulas, the milk formulas, have got incredible amounts of sugar and high fructose corn and syrup in them so on one level this is sort of a deliberate ploy from the companies and we're seeing now that they are uh, finding different ways to target kids not through television but through social media through youtube there's often a a picture or a commercial for a sugary food that's aimed at very young kids and this is a deliberate tactic you know this is about establishing brand loyalty so when those kids get to a certain age and they've got their own money to spend they're going to associate uh those products with their own money and they'll buy them so I think, you know, these kids, I mean, from my perspective, we've let them down horribly. I mean, the fact that we're seeing children with fatty liver disease and type 2 diabetes, they're obese. I mean, these are, these are illnesses related directly to poor diet and lack of education about how powerful food is. And I, I think that's a failing on our part. I mean, this is going to be the first generation to live younger lives than their parents. And 
our job is to pass on wisdom so that they have a better life than us. But we're not doing that with food. And so that was a big driving force for me and, and why we made it so much fun and accessible. And we got Hugh Jackman and Stephen Fry in there. Mm. We've got a school's program. There's lots of animations. We carefully constructed it so that no section's longer than about two and a half or three minutes because we know what kids' attention spans are like. And, you know, it's the most heartening thing for me was when we show the film. We've done so many school group screenings and even to seven and eight-year-olds and they don't move and they all have questions and they all got their hand up and they want to ask for an hour and a half and we have to end them prematurely because, you know, these kids' hands are in the air. So they get it. They want to be the best they can be. They understand this. They want to be healthy. They want to be alert with their brains. And so that really was a motivation for us to make it. But I guess to be more specific about your question, I think really the big discussion for me in this film is around how it affects our mental clarity, our ability to focus and concentrate. There was a very large study only done two weeks ago with 5,000 children that looked at the correlation between a healthy breakfast and school grades, and it was nearly double. Those kids that ate well to start the day nearly had twice as good a results academically as the ones that didn't eat well. So, you know, there's lots more studies coming out about this now. There was one in the Lancet in February this year that said we need to acknowledge that the link between food and mental behaviour is just as important as the link between food and physical symptoms. And I think at the moment we're really wrapped up in obesity and type 2 diabetes, and that's fair enough. We really need to deal with that. But I think over the next 10 years we'll start to switch our focus and really acknowledge that these kind of junk foods and high sugary foods are having an enormous impact on the way we focus and concentrate, mm. our learn, our cognitive development, even things like depression and anxiety, ADHD. It's all going to come out. It's just that the science has taken a while to get there. I just want to, I'll come back to that in a minute, but you said something just a minute ago, which, uh, which I want to pick up on. And that was that when you've done these presentations, uh, people, you have to sometimes cut them short because you've got everyone's attention. Um, I thought, okay, well, two things I thought I'm going to do with this. Number one, I've got a five-year-old boy. We just went cold turkey on the sugar thing. We've just radically, <laughs> radically altered his perception of, uh, of sugar. <laughs> and I'm pleased to say that he's, he's actually picking it up. So my message to parents here is, you know, you can give this a try and you might be pleasantly surprised as to how your, your young child will respond if you use the right language. The second thing I did was I thought, okay, well, I'm, I actually work as a teacher as well. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take this message. I, look, I was just so inspired by this whole thing. And, and not, just, not just from your film, but I've read Gillespie's book. I've also read yeah. um, a book by Gary Torbs, who's uh, interviewed yeah. in your film. So I thought as soon as I saw that, I thought I have to read his book. And I also read the book by uh, John Yudkin. And yeah, uh, so that's pure white and deadly. So I've, I'm feeling pretty well informed. And I thought, I now feel that there's, I have a responsibility to take this into the classroom. <laughs> so what I did was I, I had a class where I said to them, look, you know, oh, they, they actually started to talk to me about sugar. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just go with this for a while. And, and then suddenly I realized, hang on, I've got every student's attention. This is the mm. teacher's dream. This, this doesn't yeah. happen every day. <laughs> right you yeah. could hear a pin drop and they were asking questions and they were listening to the answers so i said look i'll tell you what in tomorrow's class we'll do the first half an hour of curriculum and then the last bit before lunchtime i will do a science experiment in front of you and i will get so what i well, what i did was i got a, um uh the i printed off the nutrition information for coca-cola and got a 375 ml glass of water and got some digital scales out and measured the amount of sugar and stirred that, dissolved that into the water. And right. once again... Did you, you accidentally sounding me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Siri's uh, nagging you there, I think, in the background. I think, uh, I think Siri's... Look, I'm just wondering whether Coca-Cola's got this thing happening there. Uh-oh, oh, yeah. here's, here's another one of those interviews. 
So what, what I did do is their tactics. That's right. That's uh, well. That's uh, brought to you by our friends at Coca Cola. Um, <laughs> uh, so what I did was I measured out first of all in a pile in it, like in a little dish. It's thirty nine grams of sugar in a three seventy five mil can, and you should have seen the level of attention in that in that fifteen minutes. It was incredible. And yeah, that's right. And I asked them to taste it, or well, actually, I didn't ask them to. I said, "Would anyone like to?" And a couple of them tried it. They couldn't get past a sip before they either just said, no, I can't take it anymore, or they spat it out. So like you say, they are ready for the... They do get it, and they're ready for the message. Yeah, coming back absolutely. to coming back to the cognition thing, I'm glad you started to talk about that because I, I wanted to ask you. Um, parents might be skeptical about the claims that high-sugar diets can negatively impact learning. In your film, though, you make comment about the fact that it did affect your mood. We've talked about studies and so forth, mm. uh, but it, you said that it affected your mood and cognition. Can you mm. just elaborate for, for the listeners who haven't seen the film, what, what do you mean by that? Well, so basically there's a, there's a term called reactive hyperglycemia, and it's pretty much slipped through the cracks because it involves a lot of brain chemicals and food. And so as a result, the nutrition world haven't really looked at it because of those brain chemicals. And as we know, the medical or doctors and whatnot really don't look at food or nutrition as part of their training. So this one particular condition has kind of uh, been not closely looked at until probably the last couple of years. And it's estimated to now affect half the population of the world. And what it means is if you're having these very highly refined carbohydrates like sugars and these white breads and bagels and passes and things like that, this hormone insulin, which removes the blood sugar from your blood, does it very quickly because these are such refined foods. And so because it happens so quickly, your brain almost panics and thinks that it hasn't got a fuel supply because it suddenly disappeared. So it releases these chemicals that can make you feel edgy and anxious. And it's almost like a fight or flight response in some people. So you can feel a bit irritable and edgy. And again, there are so many studies now that back this up around teenagers drinking soft drinks and their incidents of irritability or violent behavior. There's been studies done in prisons with incredible improvements to the prisoner's behavior once they remove these sugary foods. And there's a, my, my favorite story is from a beautiful school in New Zealand called Yendara, which their principal went in there 10 years ago, said, you know what, you know, it was a very low socioeconomic school, huge um, incidents of obesity and detentions and child behavior. She said, I think I know what's going on here and revamped their entire school system and tuck shop. Um, parents were up in arms because, this, again, this was 10 years ago, it was less known about, but she literally removed all the sugar. So the kids only snack on whole fruit. They have um, cheese, they have um, yogurts and sandwiches, and they only drink water. There's no other drinks there. Now they don't even stock their largest uniform. The obesity has gone. And she said the biggest change is that their mood. People that come to the school comment on the calm nature of the children. There's no detentions anymore. There's so much more discipline and well-behaved. And I, I just think we've posted that on our page quite often. And it's a very inspiring talk that the principal gives. And I think that should be the template for every school around the world because, you know, there, are, there is proof now that this is going on. These kids do respond differently when they start eating real foods. And like I said, we're not there yet. We're still dealing with the obesity issue. You. But imagine in 10 years from now where we understand that these kids can sit down and be calm and more attentive and learn and sleep better when they're having these slower releasing foods, these healthier fats, these proteins, instead of these refined cereals that we've been marketed to since the 50s is the healthy way to start the day. Again, this is exactly what they do. They spike that insulin and then it gets removed so quickly that the kid has to 
then 45 minutes later is feeling hungry and a bit irritable and edgy. And the parents drop the kids off at the school. So it's the teachers. They're the ones that write to us. And I'm sure you've experienced it when you've got these restless kids in class. And you've just got to start, we've just got to pay much more attention to the type of foods they're eating because, you know, as we've said, there is a link between that and their mental behavior. Some of them, uh, I must <clears throat> uh, tell you that some students do take a, uh, take up the message like we've suggested but uh, or described, but uh, I must admit that I do also get a, a fair amount of resistance to the message. So yeah, uh, it, it's pretty hard to break through that sometimes and you sometimes find yourself the target of mockery when, uh, when you yeah. talk about sugar. Um, oh, look, you're not alone there. I think, you know, what we have to, I often use the story that remember 40 years ago, we were having these same chats about tobacco and people were balking at that and doctors were still smoking it and people that stepped away from it were seen as a bit strange and a bit weird, but look how far we've come. And I think it's the same with these junk foods. I think we'll look back in 20 years and we'll see Beyonce endorsing Pepsi to the kids. We'll look at our Australian cricket team having buckets of KFC in the middle of a childhood obesity epidemic. And we'll think, gee, that was a bit silly, wasn't it? Knowing what we know now with the science. Can you believe we were endorsing this in prime time to kids? So mm. I think we'll get there. I think it's already starting to happen. And, you know, perhaps that one parent that felt like the sugar Nazi weirdo a year ago, there's probably actually five or six parents now in the same boat. So those strengths in numbers is going to keep growing once people, as you've experienced, you do it for yourself, you try it out, and then you notice the benefits. And so you share it with someone and they try and it happens. And, you know, uh, we just need to move away from these kind of rigid guidelines we've been given, this kind of, you know, these government sort of recommendations that are, you know, again, on sugar they've never been that drastic but we really i think people are starting to get empowered themselves and, and use social media as a tool to investigate themselves they read the type of books you are then they try it out and they have their own experiences we're not relying on big business or labels to tell us anymore we're actually trying it out for ourselves and i think that's a wonderful thing i'd like to finish with the the idea of moderation because i think people listening to this uh, discussion would probably say yeah yeah okay thanks guys you've had a rave but you know, everything's, everything's okay in moderation because we hear that all the time. Coming back to your film, there was the uh, one situation there where you went to Barberville, Kentucky, and mm. you met up with uh, Edwin Smith, the dentist, and yeah. a, a, a potential pa- a patient, uh, Larry Hammonds, uh, who has Mountain Dew mouth. Um, mm. And I was actually surprised by the the Mountain Dew thing, and I looked up the nutrition information for Mountain Dew, and surprisingly, it's forty six percent sugar, as opposed as opposed to the uh, more mild mannered Coke at thirty nine, <laughs> and double the caffeine of Coke. Yes. It's actually the first sort of energy drink, really. Yeah. So, at the end of that little segment, you. Uh, let me see if I can get this right. At the end of that little segment, you commented that you wondered whether anything or any of any one of their products could actually be consumed in moderation. Do we, mm. do we make too much about moderation or should we actually be a little bit more serious about saying, you know mm-hmm. what, you know, moderation is just an excuse to do the things that we know we shouldn't do? Oh, this is a very important question. In fact, only two weeks ago, again, this very interesting study came out that said that people that actually eat things in moderation end up not eating them in moderation so it's a kind of a bit of a myth but again it's very much the party line we're talking about the playbook that the tobacco industry had well the playbook for the food industry is hey everything in moderation it's fine and to a degree i agree with them but i think what the point of our film is to show people that 
what their term, what their version of moderation is, is completely out of whack because most people would have maybe a chocolate or a bowl of ice cream at the end of the day and go, you know what, if you ask me, that's, that's where I had my sugar and it's probably seven or eight teaspoons I had in that ice cream and that was me. That's why they get completely shocked when they see the film and they see that I'm having a just right low-fat yogurt and uh, apple juice for breakfast and there's 20 teaspoons. You have another bit of pasta sauce with a sesame snap and there's another 11 teaspoons. So I think people need to understand that this sugar is so pervasive and hidden in the food supply that what our perspective of moderation is is completely out of whack. And if you want to have your chocolate and your ice cream at the end of the day, that's completely fine. But just maybe have real foods for the rest of the day instead of the processed ones because that's what's going to get your teaspoon count up so high. But again, the second point, and the point you're alluding to, is that I think you know there are now more and more studies starting to emerge that you know to some people sugar is incredibly addictive. You know, mm. one recent study said it was eight times more addictive than cocaine in some people. And again, this comes back to the size of your opioid receptor. But this is very real for a lot of people, and it's still kind of um, poo-pooed by academia. We don't treat it as a serious offence. Uh, sorry, as a serious addiction. But even the head of the National Institute of Drug Abuse in America, this woman named Nora Volkow, she has now come out and said that look, to some people, sugar is a drug. It is very hard to let go of. And so I think once we understand that, we can see why these drinks like Mountain Dew, like you said, with eleven teaspoons of sugar in them plus the caffeine, and they're being sold to teenagers. Then yes, there's going to be teenagers out there like with smoking. People get very, very addicted. Not everyone. But some people are going to find it very, very hard to let go of. So what do you say there with moderation? Can you say to some people, like I'm with cigarettes, I can't smoke in moderation. I wish I could have the occasional cigarette, when I'm, but I just can't do it. I'm all, all or nothing. It's the same with heroin. It's the same with alcoholic. Would you just say, oh, come on, mate, everything in moderation. Mm. Sugar is no different. And unfortunately, the societal understanding of that isn't there yet. The science is there, but it hasn't kind of reached the mainstream. It's still seen as a bit silly. And I mean, my hope that that, that that will change in the next five years is more and more people kind of, I mean, we see it on our page, they finally feel this relief that they go, you know what, I hate to admit it, but I found giving up cigarettes easier than giving up sugar. Or some people will say, I've been trying for a year and a half and I cannot kick it, what do I do? So mm. it's very, very real for people and they're the ones that are suffering the most. And, you know, there's that great sort of saying about, you know, we're humanity's chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge those people that are vulnerable to sugar and we need to sort of cater to them. We need to not plaster Krispy Kreme donuts on the side of buses every morning, <laughs> you know, or, or, or put them through, you know, X-factor commercials. We need to be more considerate like we've done with tobacco and other drugs. And I, I do think we'll get there. It's just going to, as you said, they're going to be sniggers for the next few years. But eventually, um, I think, um, you know, history will determine that we'll see what the truth is with sugar. Interesting your comments there on moderation. Just as you were explaining it, I thought, you know what, I think I might have just thought of a practical thing that, that people can do to test their, their moderation levels. Uh, see what you think of this mm. one. I reckon what everyone could do is they could stand in front of the mirror so that you can look yourself in the eye because looking yourself in the eye is quite hard unless you're looking into a mirror, right? So you could yep. stand in front of the mirror with your shirt off and whilst doing the belly slap making a fat wave wobble test, repeat the word moderation, moderation. <laughs> and then look yourself in the eye and say, Moder and then really? Moderation? Come on. Yeah, that's yeah, great. No, that's a great idea. Or, or I think, just I often say to people, just give it like, just try for 24 hours to not have sugar and like really make an effort in, in the sense that look at the label of your yogurt, look at the label of your cereal and just see how pervasive it is in your cupboards and your fridge and 
Go, try it. Go for 48 hours and see how you feel. And if you feel pretty rotten and you're craving it, then you know that this substance has a hold on you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want any substance to have that power over me. I want to feel free in my choices of what I can eat. But I think most people have had sugar every single day of their lives since they were probably six or eight months old that they've actually never experienced what it can be like to not have it for a week or two weeks or let alone a few months. And people are usually shocked when they do that. They notice their vitality return. They notice their moods are more consistent throughout the day. They sleep better. They're more alert. They can concentrate better. And really, we've got to look at why these elite sporting clubs around the world that have got millions of dollars to invest in the science and understanding this, why are they starting to do it? Why are the Lakers now starting to take this seriously? Because they know that it all matters. Their vitality, their concentration in the game, their endurance is all very important. So hopefully that will trickle down because uh, some of them, as you know, are still endorsing Gatorade. But eventually, <laughs> it'll get down to kids and to the rest of the population that you know this is this is real it's not a fad the science is backing it up now and uh, i think the food environment will look very different in 20 years well congratulations and well done on first first of all a very entertaining film i mean that's why we watch films uh but for for bringing this message out into the public consciousness in such a, an engaging way and uh, and i really hope the success continues and and certainly from my perspective at least it, it is actually having an effect for me and and for the people I know. Oh, thanks, Colin. No, and look, it's like you said before, the fact that you felt empowered to then go and share it with your school, that's everything we hoped would happen. And, and it is happening. The, the, the people that are buying our action kits and sharing it to the schools and showing the kids, you know, that's not coming from the government. They're not being told to do that. That's from people like yourself that watch it, understand it, and then want to share it with that next generation. I think that's why it's working is that we're all in this together. People understand it's a, it's a grassroots movement. It's a community level. We know that the, our government's deeply involved with the Sugar Association. We're the third biggest exporter in the world that they're not going to react anytime soon it's up, actually up to us to, to get the, the movement going and as we've already seen the companies are starting to listen to us and i think in track the in the future the government will listen as well and we'll see some policy changes around sugar and especially with kids in hospitals damon some great insights thank you so much for your time thanks colin You've been listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast brought to you by LearnFast Australia. If you'd like to comment on this podcast, send us an email to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. To find out more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au, where you can also subscribe to the blog. Until next time, bye for now.